and welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild places of the Upper Left Edge. I'm Jessica Schleif, and... And I'm Teresa Retzloff, and we are talking today on a misty autumn morning, um, sitting outside here on my farm, um, just outside of Astoria, and uh, we've been thinking about a lot of autumn autumn chores, autumn yeah. tasks, autumn things. And one of the things that's come up um, between us and then also something that I get asked about a fair amount is cover crop. Yeah. Growing uh, cover crop. You, you are clearing out spaces here on the farm. There's many mm -hmm. crops that are coming in for processing. Yeah. And, um, rows that are being cleared. And you're doing some strategizing about what's going in there next, ways that you're amending the soil. Mm -hmm. um, places that will be um, either tarped or sown with a cover crop. Mm -hmm. um, talk, talk a little bit about that, Teresa, like how, how you're making some of the decisions about what those spaces will be transitioning into. Yeah. Well, part of it is, um, you know, with, with gardening and farming, I mean, it's all about the growing seasons, the cycles. And so even though it's it's just the beginning of autumn, you know, I'm already part of my brain is already thinking about spring. Mm -hmm. It's thinking about April, you know, and thinking, trying to set myself up for where do I want to be in March? Where do I want to be in April? How early do I want to plant this bed that I'm getting ready to to pull my summer crops out of? and do a little strategic weeding on and then think about, is this something that I'm not gonna to wanna to plant in this bed until maybe early May? Or do I wanna get my earliest crops into this bed? So maybe early March. And that's gonna help me think about, do I plant cover crop on this bed? And cover crop is, um, what? Also, it's also known as green manure. It's a lot of different names. Cover crop is a, is a thing that it's a soil building activity um, and it helps in a number of ways you it's usually some kind of annual crop like winter rye um, vetch peas crimson clover uh, there's different kinds of, of um, grasses legumes and things that we you can sow fairly you know thickly that come up they germinate very fast they'll grow in a nice dense cluster and they um, will grow through the winter. And then sometimes, well, we don't really get cold enough to do like a winter kill of them. So like where, where like a really hard, hard frost would take them out. Generally what happens in the spring is that you cut down the cover crop or you pull it out depending on how big of a space you're talking about. And you either um, dig the cover crop under and allow it to break down in the soil. Sometimes people will cut the cover crop and compost it off the bed and then add that compost back to the bed but in some way or another you basically take that all that green material that you've been growing throughout the winter and incorporate it back into the soil so you're basically growing your own compost mm -hmm. for that space and um, you generally want to cut it back kind of right as it starts to flower which is a painful thing to do if you're growing crimson clover because it's so beautiful when it flowers but uh, but generally speaking, right, right about when it starts to flower is when you really need to be thinking about cutting it back and turning it under. And you need about a month um, at least from the cutting back and, and digging it in to allow it to break down 
before you're going to plant in that bed. And so that's where timing comes into it. If you're wanting to plant like your early peas or potatoes or leafy greens in that bed, maybe in early March, um, but you, you like that would mean early, the beginning of February would be when you'd be cutting that back and, and digging it in. And that is not a time to be digging the soil out here on the on the Oregon coast because the soil is often very wet and heavy and that's you can really mess up your soil structure so generally the the beds where I'm going to do a cover crop are things where I know it's maybe going to be late April early May so like beginning at you know March sometime is when I would think about cutting back that cover crop and what I've started doing now is using um, uh, black plastic tarps. I know it's become very, very fashionable in, in the farming world to use a lot of black plastic tarps to break down, to do weed suppression. And what I do is I, I will cut back my cover crop, mow it down. We have a flail mower on a, a walk behind tractor that we have and I cut the cover crop down and then cover it with the tarps. And the, the blocking out the sun um, helps the green material to break down. And if I leave it on for about a month, depending on how warm it is, that will usually just completely break down all of that plant material. And then I can get into the bed and, and you know, end of April, May and work it and, um, and, and add my soil amendments and get ready to plant. And so uh, if it's a bed that I want to plant very early in the spring, probably what I would do right now is add lime, which mm. is something that... Um, we haven't really talked about, and I, yeah, do you, do you, I mean, you add lime to your to your garden beds. It's just it's we, we have very acidic soil here. Yeah, and I use lime in areas where uh, I'm growing vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I've used lime as a, a strategizing to sweeten up the soil in areas where I'm trying to have. Uh, um, horsetail or things like that, maybe not be as prevalent. Yeah, because they like a more acidic soil. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. the thing to know uh, in the plants in your garden, do they like an acidic soil? Because some plants do, like rhodes, azaleas, blueberries, yes. like yeah. acidic soils. So you don't want a lime around those plants. But there are plants that do like a more neutral pH of the soil. And lime is something that we add to the soil out here um, in the Northwest. So what type of lime are you using out here at the farm? I use... Um, just a, I use a powdered agricultural lime. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't really have a setup where I can get lime in bulk. I wish I could because it's the most cost-effective way to do it. But I still get it in bags. I tend to use a powdered lime because it's the least expensive. It's also um, it's easier to, to inhale it, so you want to be careful when you're applying it um, and wear a dust mask. You can get lime in, in what's called a prilled form. So the, the powdered lime is... Um, is processed with, I think it's clay, and it basically so like a pelletized. It's like a pelletized yeah. thing, and so you can spread it, and there's not as much dust. It's a little more expensive to buy it that way, but if you're not, you know, doing acreage, that can be just fine for your garden, and and it, it's just healthier sure. for you. And the and the prills doesn't really affect the lime at all. It's still lime. Some people use um, there. There's agricultural lime and dolomite lime, and dolomite lime has magnesium in it which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if your soil has enough magnesium in it, you don't necessarily want to add more. So like a basic soil test could tell you whether you need um, 
to add magnesium or not. Some people say, well, like one year add just straight lime, one year add oh, dolomite lime, you know, just to kind of play back and forth or just add straight lime if you if you aren't sure or you don't care or you're not going to get a soil test. Just use the plain lime. You don't have to use dolomite lime um, is, is what I would say. Sure. Um, and uh, I think that that's probably a, an okay strategy or the, the alternating every other year. <laughs> Right. Just to kind of hedge your bets, right? Um, but it and they're usually the, the 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 lime bag will have sort of rates of application and and it's usually geared for acreage, you know, or like hundreds of square feet. So if you've got a little ten by ten foot garden, it can be hard. To, maybe some a little bit hard to do the math to figure out like how much do I, I need know, for this? And then I it also guess. depends on I, you know <laughs> honestly I guess a lot too. I'm just like yeah it's about this. I I, al- I know that I'll I always need way more lime yeah. than I'm probably adding. Right. So uh, I I try to just strategize um, and I, there and what what happens too with lime is that it's not an immediate fix. It takes a long time to shift the pH of your soil. And so, and, and then we get heavy rainfall all winter long, mm-hmm. which leaf, leaches the lime out of the soil. And so it is the kind of thing, it's like compost. You just kind of have to add some every year because part of the process in the, in the soil is that these things break down and gradually disappear. And so we need to add more. Can, can you talk a little bit more about with the cover crops, um, some of your favorite things to use. And can you talk a little bit more about the nitrogen fixing capacity of some of these things that are included in the cover crops? Yeah. So, well, well, things in the legume family, the peas, vetch, things like that, those are what you would call nitrogen fixtures. And they're plants that can capture nitrogen from the atmosphere and and fix it in their roots in the in, into the soil in those little nodules. The little nodules. They're so and, interesting to see. And one of the things to know sometimes what you'll see is, is recommendation is to get an an inoculant um, mm-hmm. when you're planting peas um, or or fava beans fava beans or, or any of those kinds of things. And what the inoculants are, it's it's like a bacteria that needs to. There's a bacteria that needs to be present in the soil in order to help those roots fix the nitrogen in the soil. And that bacteria might be present in your soil, but it also might not be. And so the inoculant is kind of a guarantee. It's like a for sure. Mm-hmm. This You know that you're adding those bacteria. And it usually comes in a powder form and you sort of wet your crop, this the seed, the and seed. then dust it with this um, inoculant. I did it for years. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did it for years in my home garden with the peas and the beans. And then now I'm kind of at year... Yeah five or six and feel like I've added so much to the soil and Mm -hmm. I haven't used inoculant for the last couple of years and I feel I feel like things were okay in my pea bean department I kind of go back and forth Mm -hmm. um and it usually depends on if I've remembered to buy inoculant or not that that could be you know and and here's the thing it what when I first started gardening um I used to think that the inoculant was somehow somehow I would see it in the growth of the plant that it would like help the growth of the plant somehow and then i came to understand it's it's really about this this action that's going on underground that we're not seeing it's the it's the roots talking to the bacteria in the soil and having a conversation and saying hey can you help me fix some nitrogen you know and i love that it is this beautiful communication of all the microorganisms in the soil and trying to ensure that this this one bacteria or the the bacteria that is going to help your plants do this is present and, um, you know, 
I think if I, if I was, if I was really trying to be that kind of micro micromanaging of my soil and really thinking about it, um, I, you know, maybe I would be more vigilant about the, the bacteria or trying to figure that out. But, you know, again, I, I wouldn't want someone to not sow cover crop because they don't have inoculant on hand. Mm -hmm. If you if you have some cover crop seed and you're going to sow it, you're thinking about sowing it, but you're like, oh, I don't have my inoculant, go ahead and sow it. It's going to be okay. The cover crop's going to grow. It's going to be just fine. You're still going to be adding organic matter to the mm -hmm. soil. You're still going to be adding nitrogen in the form of that green material that's going to be breaking down, adding nitrogen to the soil when the, when the plants are breaking down. So it's going to be okay. It's all still a good thing to do. And the other thing that cover crop does, which I think we should also mention, is it helps prevent soil erosion, exactly. which is a really key thing. And yeah. I learned this really early on. I remember, like, in my first few years of farming, I had some beds that I just left exposed for the winter. I, I pulled the plants out, just left them there, didn't do anything. And then right next to it, beds where I'd planted a nice thick cover crop. And the difference in those beds in the spring was just unbelievable. One of them, like down to the ground, completely battered and compacted. I'd basically lost all of the soil building yeah. that I'd done the previous year. And then the row that I'd grown the cover crop on was lush, thick, beautiful. The, the way the plants responded in the two beds was totally different. And so I've, I learned my lesson early on that you need to do something. Either you grow cover crop or put a thick mulch of compost or even like just pile up leaves yeah. on it. And, and so here, here, here's a, a, a lead in for, um, you know, I, I use cover crops, but I am not a farmer. Mm -hmm. I am not production growing vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, but I have used cover crops quite a bit in the ornamental gardens. Um, I have a bed that I'm completely starting from scratch. Yeah. Or I've rearranged so much plant material or taken out so many perennials during this time of year when I'm rearranging things and I'm kind of thinking about doing something different and I've upset the soil and maybe I've added some compost to it. But then the cover crops they've been a nice thing for me to go ahead and if i have blank areas sew in i often use the crimson clover because i just think it's so pretty mm -hmm. and i am not using it in the same way that a farmer would use it um i i'm going ahead and letting some of it go to seed it's so beautiful it's so beautiful, it's so beautiful. of all of the cover crops i think that's just it's so beautiful. and I'm strategizing with it so mm -hmm. you know it's been in the ground for a while I'm going to take out a couple of sections of it and I'm going to go ahead and pop in some ornamental grasses and I'm going to take out another section of it and maybe I'm doing a chop and drop technique and using it to mulch in parts of the bed do you find if you chop it does it regrow or do you pull the whole plant out? I pull out? the whole plant out and then I'm chopping it and dropping it. Okay. Um, so just it, using it as like a top mulch and letting it break down. Top mulch in like the back of the bed or around a larger perennial that I've planted just to mm -hmm. kind of keep the weeds away. Or there's been times where I've grown it, pulled it all, trenched in the middle of a bed chopped it and dropped it into there and then maybe put some worm castings in and then covered that up with chip and just figured let that cook you know let, and it'll let just that eventually cook. break down it'll eventually break down and that's something that's feeding my bed as i'm using those places that i've opened up to do seeding or 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 go ahead and put in little starts that i'm moving from some other part of the garden but i've used it as something that's holding the soil for me 
when maybe I don't have you know I'm not going to be putting plants in right that second or I've put in some some basic bone plants but I want to do the rest of my planting in spring or or maybe even farther into the you know late spring or yeah. something so I'm using the cover crop to hold the soil and then in some areas you know leaving a little section of it where it works to go ahead and flower and especially with that crimson clover just watching the bees all over it mm -hmm. and knowing that it's going to seed and maybe I can take those um, spent plants and and lay them somewhere else that I'd like that seed to be you know later on in the season anyway so that's that's how I'm using it in a non you know farmer way and, but it, but but working beautifully, and I yeah. think doing exactly what you want to Fava do. Fava beans too, I've used in that way, like letting some of them bloom, mm -hmm. letting some beans go, but go ahead and chop and drop the rest of it. You get a lot of plant material out of fava you beans. You really do, and I've used it sometimes to kind of kickstart my compost in the spring. Mm -hmm. You know, using some comfrey and mm -hmm. some of that to mix in with some of my brown materials. You know, one of the seeds that um, one of the cover crop plants that I think last year, last fall was the first year I used it. Um, I was recommended, uh, in some of our areas, we have a fairly heavy clay soil, um, a daikon radish. And uh, that was amazing. On the one hand, it did kind of come up all over the place in places where I didn't want. It was very easy to identify and very easy to pull out. But there were some places where it just I let it just go and let it go to seed. Mm -hmm. And those those radishes are huge. Yeah. They're like two, three feet long. Sometimes you pull them out, sometimes you can't. You, it just breaks off. But what it's doing, especially in a really heavy clay soil, it's pushing down breaking through that heavy up clay. That soil. Breaking up the soil. And then if you leave the root in the soil, it will just decompose. The worms will move in and attack that that root that's down in there and again adding organic matter deep down in the soil so I think that uh, I will I'm going to incorporate that in you know going forward it was a very cool plant and then you know you could eat it yeah I mean the <laughs> daikon radishes are kind of expensive if they're using them for crowds or different things absolutely like... it was a really cool uh introduction to I mean I I know that lots of farmers grow daikon radish as a as a crop and I'd been thinking about it but I hadn't really gone there yet but thinking about it in terms of as just as a cover crop plant uh it was really cool uh, you also bring up a good point about um you know leaving that root in and letting it decompose i think it's sometimes as we're doing our fall cleanup um we think oh I i'm gonna pull this out you know sunflowers mm -hmm. uh you know various things that we've had in our ornamental garden um you know and of course again we we want to clean up things that are rotting or tomato plant material but there's a lot of things like I love the sunflowers just being able to cut those down to a mm -hmm. certain or kales like cut them down but go ahead and leave that root system in and part of the stalk mm -hmm. such a great environment and and as it rots away in the soil leaving these open spaces for mm -hmm. for um, circulation of water and nutrients and yeah, and I, <laughs> and I think as we learn more about soil biology and the microorganisms that are in the soil and soil structure, um, you see a lot more farmers and gardeners moving to 
a low-till or no-till kind of approach where you're trying to disturb the soil as little as possible, mm -hmm. recognizing that there's um, systems under there. And it's also doing a lot of carbon sequestration, you know, capturing carbon, storing it in the soil, and that when you till, you're, you're yes. disturbing the soil and releasing that from the soil. And so um, I, don't, I don't know anybody that's, that's absolutely doing no-till farming, but I know a number of farmers that are moving towards a low-till or in certain areas and for certain crops really trying to minimally disturb the soil and allow those root structures that are happening when you grow either cover crop or annuals or perennials, whatever that is, allowing those roots to like to, to um, establish in the soil those relationships between plant roots and soil microorganisms to be happening mm -hmm. and to kind of just step away and not get involved. Let them have those conversations and to try and disturb it as little as possible. And it's been kind of exciting to see the soil build up over time. And, and I think that's part of why, as I've moved to, for the cover crop, what I've moved to just like mowing it down, not digging up the roots, not trying to turn the soil, but mowing it down, just dropping the organic matter on top and then covering it with a tarp and letting the worms mm -hmm. move in. And underneath that tarp, just all that breaking down and not trying to dig those roots yes. up and then just coming in and very gently working it with a broad fork which is this really interesting tool that digs deep and just kind of loosens the subsoil but doesn't turn it over this is a cultural shift i, I think it's so beautiful when i it started is. my perennial gardening mm -hmm. career you know it was all about the english double digging style and oh i double dug some beds oh my Oof. gosh you know and i mean there's there's merit to that in certain instances especially if you have morning glory or things that but even so these days I just you mm -hmm. know so much of that that work can happen in a passive way and yeah. the, as far as what I see for soil that I end up with when I'm layering leaf mold and I'm, I'm layering some spent grain and I'm, I'm just chopping and dropping my ornamental grass debris um, what I see in the soil structure at the end of some years with not even doing any work mm -hmm. you know that that's that's where i see that that works it really does and and i have seen some areas on our farm shift from like a really heavy clay like concrete mm -hmm. clay to with you know applications of lime growing cover crop mulching disturbing it as little as possible really getting some nice soil start to happen and i absolutely know that that you can't change like your base soil mm -hmm. but you can improve it either you know usually through adding organic matter you can make it something that that you can work with more if you've got sand that's always going to be your base soil if you've got heavy clay it's always going to be your base soil that you're starting with but you can work with it and and help transform it into something that's easier to work with and that's certainly something that i've seen over time which encourages me in these practices that, I mean, and it's kind of a beautiful thing that actually like the less, in some ways, the less you do, yes, yes. the better it is. And I, I think that's a... Well, you're working with nature and you're letting nature do some of the absolutely. work Absolutely. And I, I think that over time I've come, there's, there's more humility in my relationship with uh, the with nature and with the, the soil and the plants and the structure. I think I started 
out feeling like I need to take care of the this. Con- you know, well, and I'm that, in control. And that, ur- that urge, that desire mm-hmm. to control. Yeah. And when we let go of some of those yeah. control areas, we, we realize nature really has a lot of intelligence. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's just like getting out of the way. Yeah. You know, understanding that there's times when, because, because a garden or a farm, as much as we talk about it being nature or natural, it's not a natural system. What we're doing there is not natural. We're, we're trying to conform nature to do something that we want to do for our own mm-hmm. benefit and our own reward. So if we want it to keep doing that, we're going to have to do some intervention to make those things happen. But I think it just depends on the degree to which you're going to try and fight with nature or, or you're going to try and with. partner. Yeah. Exactly. So to, I, I, want to, I want to ask you about garlic. Oh, we have barely any time left. I know. We'll have to talk about garlic okay, on another show. Okay, but another show for garlic. Autumn's yeah. a great, autumn, great time to plant garlic. So think about garlic, people. It's, I would say, I mean, <laughs> for me, mid-October is the ideal time to plant it. But I have planted it as early, as late as end of November, early December, and still had a great crop. Uh-huh. I know people that have taken sprouting garlic cloves in January and stuck them in the ground. Side and dressing with cottonseed meal. Still gotten something out of it. Um, but, but fall is a really good time to be thinking about garlic. So yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do, we should do a show on garlic. We should do a show on garlic. And we'll just talk, talk about garlic. Mm-hmm. I like that. It'll be good. Yeah. Um, I, fall is a great time to be planting bulbs as well and thinking about lots of things. And again, thinking about spring. You're setting yourself up for spring this time of year. And so whatever it is that you're doing, don't leave your soil bare. Yeah. And so some of that strategizing you're doing, we just talked about cover crops. We're talking about lime, tarps. Or, you know, if you you absolutely just can't get in there and do anything, just cover the area with um, some heavy black plastic tarp cardboard or cardboard chip. and wood chips yeah just yeah. don't i'm doing soil, a lot of that around the edges of bear. things yeah um heavy gray cardboard and you know if you can get a hold of alder chip fantastic but any sort of free chip eventually will break doesn't down have anything like ivy or stuff in it yeah that's you know true. try and try and find or holly out. yeah holly's not so good but but or leaves, you know, if if you if you live near one of those huge maple trees in town where it's always dropping its leaves all over the street, go clean them up. Yeah, or sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to talk about some of the places where I've gleaned leaves from. Leave those secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Teresa, thank you for this thank conversation. Thank you, Jessica. This is great. It always makes me feel um, uh, excited about autumn and, and reminding myself, like, these are really great, fun activities and... Uh, yeah, and, and it's it, good to do. I really appreciate it's you. worth putting on the rain gear for. Yeah, it's worth putting on the rain gear for, and I really appreciate your um, combining in some of that science in here with this conversation. I love science. Yeah, I, really... I will, and you know, I will also say, like, I'm not a, I'm not an expert. I just play <laughs> one on, but it's, you know, I think it's an ongoing learning experience, and the more that I come to understand about how soil biology works and the ways that we can work with it to improve um the the gardens the farms mm-hmm. whatever the space that we're working with is it's really exciting yeah it and is i love hearing you talk about it because it's like things that i have an understanding of but your language is just really beautiful with it oh thanks oh, thank you everyone for joining us today for yeah. in season thank you kmun for being here 
always and yeah. especially during this time. Absolutely. So grateful for Coast Community Radio and all that it brings to our world. Yes. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah.